0: faith to pursue your mission, to make much of you north of the river here in Metro Vancouver. Uh, would you give them the, the power and the energy and the wisdom that is needed to uh, do this great task, which is the to start a new church, to reach more people for Christ, not only for their salvation but for their transformation. Uh, would you help them develop a launch team uh, to See this new church get off the ground so that more people are brought into your kingdom. Lord, we acknowledge you as our creator, as our sustainer, as a holy God who is pure and perfect, morally excellent in every way, but also transcendent. Uh, Lord, we are so grateful to you for being merciful to us and gracious to us, uh, for being slow to anger and patient with us, and for abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Help me to speak today your words, Holy Spirit, not mine. We want you to be the center of our attention and our focus. Here in this moment, would you change us on the spot? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. ...about God, but not too far off what many of our coworkers and neighbors and perhaps family members might think about God or connect with God. So, opinions about God, such as that we heard, that God is not gender conforming, uh, that He is a powerful energy in the universe, thoughts like He's probably big and smart, that He doesn't spend too much time thinking about me, that God is this powerful white light or a big cloud of gas. In other words, there's a lot of confusion, a lot of disagreement, different ideas, a lot of often contradictory ideas about the very nature of God in our culture and in our world. And before you assume that these contradictory ideas are outside of the church, that you know, people in the church don't have these ideas about God, you would be wrong. A recent study conducted by LifeWay Uh, ministries and Ligonier ministries, it's the Baptists and the Presbyterians, Uh, they do an annual study called thestateoftheology.com, thestateoftheology.com, and here's what they found amongst evangelical Christians, which we would be considered an evangelical church, and here's what they found. Evangelical Christians have a great concern for God, but most hold views about God that are contrary to what the Bible teaches. This reveals deep confusion about what the Bible says. Here's what often happens inside the church. Christians can give and spout off right answers to some basic Bible questions, but at the same time, they'll merely say, well, these beliefs that I have, they're just my opinion, just my opinion. You might have a different opinion, and it's true that is your opinion, but you wouldn't necessarily say that it's true for everyone, you see, that there's no absolute truth. Here's what this boils down to according to the ancient Greek philosopher Xenophanes, he said that people imagine God to be pretty much like themselves. That's their version, their definition of God. Created, God's created in my image versus God created me in his image. It, you can see the, the problem with the authority lines there. This is not good. This is not helpful. And this is important and why it's so important to examine and remind ourselves about what God is like, uh, about what the Bible says. A.W. Tozer, he was a pastor in the 20th century, and he says this, and I want you to really hear these words. This is a quote, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It really tells what you prioritize. It really tells what you value and what you're pursuing in your life. In other words, if if your idea about God is informed by anything other than God Himself, as He's revealed in His Word, the Bible, you're in trouble. You're missing out on all that God would have for you by faith in Christ. Let me, that's the preamble. That's the introduction, probably too long, but there, there's a preamble. What I now want to show you are six key characteristics about what God is like from the Bible, and these, there are many more characteristics. God is, is one of the most, he is the most vast person in the universe, and so we're just looking at six basic things that are really central to who God is, and this is very helpful stuff and very clarifying. We're going to look at some really important ones here. The first key characteristic of, of God in your notes is this, God is the maker of the universe. That may sound so simplistic, but if you miss this one, we miss it all. He is our source. He is the catalyst. He is the prime cause that caused the universe to come into being. For example, when you think about the starter, the maker, the inventor of Amazon, who do you think of? Jeff Bezos. He is now the most wealthy, he is the wealthiest man in the world. Or when you think about the maker, designer, inventor, and starter of the the company known as Apple and the iPhone and so forth, who do you think of? Not just Steve Jobs, I hope. Don't forget Steve Wozniak as well, working in the garage in the 70s, making that thing. Well, when it comes to, to who you think about when it, you refer to the person who made and formed and designed and, in fact, invented the entire universe as we know and see it today, I am wanting to persuade you to think about God and to know that that person is God. And the scale of God's His power and His creativity and His His intelligence, it is far beyond the scale of a mere Amazon company.com or mere Apple company. Apple and Amazon mere specks of dust in comparison to the vastness not only of the universe itself, but of the vastness of God Himself. And we get this from verse, the very first verse in the Bible. Genesis one one. you might be able to, to memorize it or know what it is, and it's simply, in the beginning, God, there he was, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So you are not here by mere chance. You are, you and I are not here thanks to lightning or perhaps uh, comets or, or what's the word I'm looking for? Balls of rock coming from space. I can't think of the meteors coming from from space, hitting the primordial soup that happened to be sort of festering here on earth. And then that energy caused those amino acids to interact and other compounds to to interact and then evolve over billions and billions of years into the fish and then into the man. And that basically, we are not all here by chance, according to Genesis 1.1. You and I, are here, we are existing, we are taking up space in our bodies now. We're breathing, taking in oxygen, hearts pumping blood, brains emitting brain waves, only because of Genesis 1.1. It was because of God's initiative. You are God's idea. I am God's idea. This place is God's idea. And we're only here because of His catalyzing creative action. Incredibly, Genesis chapter 1 then go on, goes on to say, if you keep reading... That God made the universe, as we see it today, with words. He made it with words. Let there be light, and there was light. Let there be land, let there be oceans, let there be rivers, let there be clouds, let there be sun, let there, there be the moon and the stars, let there be animals and birds and fish, and my favorite, creeping things crawling. How were these things brought into existence? With his words, he just said them to exist, and they did. And that's how powerful he is. Who can do this? So he is so powerful, he was able, he is still able to create the universe and everything in it by merely speaking them into existence out of nothing. The famous church scholar scholarly word is ex nihilo, it's Latin, out of nothing. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3 speaks to this. It says, by faith, and by the way, if you believe this stuff, it is by faith so by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So when you and I can look around, we see each other, we see the, the substances that, that, and the, the materials that formed this gymnasium, we look around, all of what we see today, all the visible stuff was made, was brought into being out of stuff that was not visible Brought into being out of nothing. Who can do that? If you and I make stuff, maybe you're crafty, you know? You need pre-existing materials to make that craft. If you are someone who makes pottery, you need clay. You work with that pottery and that clay to to then make pottery, right? But God is different. He made stuff out of nothing. Nothing. That's impressive. That's how vast and great and mighty He is. This is what God is like. You might ask, though, I wonder why God made the world out of nothing. Yes, that's impressive. But why? What's the whole point? Why are we here? Well, what's the answer to this? Uh, Psalm chapter 19, verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. And just like a beautiful painting, we see the Mona Lisa who made and who painted the Mona Lisa? Leonardo da Vinci, am I right? Okay. Uh, who, who made this sculpture? Well, it was the sculpturist. Or who made this beautiful website? Well, it was the web designer. All of these things. You look at the artwork. You look at these beautiful things and you say, well, someone made that. Someone brought that into being and made it beautiful. In, in the same way all of the breathtaking beauty that we see in the universe and in the night sky and on the lower mainland. We live in, I believe, the most beautiful city in the world. Where does this beauty come from? It comes from God. He designed it. He made it. He painted it. It points to Him and it glorifies Him, puts His greatness on display for all to see and say, wow. If you've ever seen a starry night, we say, wow, we're in awe. That's amazing. And it's all here. We see all of creation. We see one another. All of us here. Everything is all here to glorify God, get our eyes off of ourselves. Everything is is designed. It's like a giant signboard that says, I made the world. It points to him. It's like an upward arrow towards God to show him off and to show off the greatest and the most powerful and the most creative and the most wise and capable person in the universe. That sense of awe that you experience when you go camping, you see the night sky at night, that sense of awe is there to point you to God. And so my hope and my prayer is, as you think of God as your maker, that you are led to a greater sense of worship today. Maybe recently your worship is sort of stale. You're bored with your worship. You don't wake up in the morning thinking of God at all, perhaps. Maybe you just need to go camping, to rediscover your sense of, of worship and of God's greatness and to see his handiwork, and to regain that sense of awe that only a God could make this place so beautiful that it, 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 to, that it is that I see it with my own eyes, to get this glimpse again of his handiwork? Maybe you need to just go camping. all right? Further, will you see that the universe that you, uh, will you see that the universe and you and I and all here today? We are not primarily here for us. You are not primarily in existence for your own agenda or for your own dreams. But you are here for God's glory. That's the ultimate agenda. To showcase Him. To show Him off. To see Him. And so we must remind ourselves every day, every morning, I exist, the world exists, everything exists for God to glorify Him, to showcase His greatness. We are all here primarily to showcase him and what a good God. He allows us the privilege to experience creation, to experience life, to experience existence. He's a good God. So in answering that question, what is God like? First and foremost, you've got to start with the fact that he is our maker. That's number one. Number two, in addition to him being our maker, is the fact that God is our sustainer. We've looked at some of these things fairly recently, but this is another key core uh, characteristic of the the nature of God. Uh, he is our maker and our sustainer. And there's a couple of quick Bible verses I want to share with you that prove this. Uh, we have Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. In, spe- <laughs> in speaking about Jesus, the Son of God, it says, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. In Him, all things hold together. In Jesus, all things hold together right now at this very moment, here you are sitting here, you are being held together. By who? By Jesus Christ. The only reason that all the molecules in your body at this very moment do not instantly separate and dislocate and discombobulate, just for poetry's sake, and expand into nothingness is because of the sustaining power and ability and wisdom of Jesus Christ. His sustaining power is holding you together right now. Acts chapter 17 speaks further to this. Verse 28, it says, the Apostle Paul says, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So he's our ultimate parent. But in other words, you can only live and keep on living. You can only move and keep on moving. You can only continue to be and keep on being with your personality and, and the life that you live because of God. It's because of God. You are His offspring. You came from Him. You are for Him. You are here to glorify Him. You are all about Him. That's where He is your source and sustainer. One of the best word pictures that I could come up with in this idea of someone being a sustainer uh, are moms and mothers. Moms. You know, I look at all that my wife does for my kids and for myself. It's astonishing, really. She does a lot, and I don't give her enough credit. And so, would you help this word get back to my wife? I don't think she's in the room. Brownie points, you know. But, anyhow, no, seriously. I look at all that she does for my kids and for me and our household. I'm just breathless, amazed. Let's talk about moms. Moms, yes, dads do some stuff, but I want to focus on moms here. Moms hold their families together, do they not? They get their kids to school and back very often. They ensure that the lunches are made. They ensure the hair is combed and it's not too ugly. They, they ensure that hair is brushed. They ensure that the kids eat some breakfast or some sort of sustenance before school. They ensure that their clothes are not totally butt ugly and, and purchase, you know, more clothes as are needed or shoes that are needed. And furthermore, moms take care of sick kids. Very often it falls on mom. They tend to those needs that they have. They administer the, the medicine and, and slap on the band-aid, whatever it is. And, and, and moms do so much more than the little bit that I just described. Am I right? And yes, you dads do a little bit as well. But if someone, if someone is seen as the glue for a family, a lot of the time, it's mom. Without her sustaining influence and sustaining efforts keeping everyone happy, keeping everyone together, keeping everyone moving forward, and then doing so with some level of joy. And in a much greater way, our ultimate parent is God, Heavenly Father. He is sustaining your life right now. He is sustaining our world right now. He's keeping your breathing going. He is keeping your heart pumping blood. He is keeping your brain emitting brain waves. He is keeping our ecosystems going right now. He is keeping the weather going. We've had some beautiful weather recently. You know why we've had beautiful weather recently? It's because of God, right? He's giving us the daily food, the daily water, the daily shelter that you enjoy every day living in one of the richest countries in the world. This is all coming from God by His grace. We don't deserve any of this. But He's so good to us that He takes care of us in this way. And so therefore, what must I do? What must you do in light of God's great sustaining power? You and I need to live in this constant state of awareness, this constant state of all... uh, 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 all My life is going well. I'm experiencing joy. I'm experiencing my needs being met because of God, His sustaining power in my life. I should live in a constant state of gratitude and worship towards Him for holding our universe together, holding my life together, holding my family together. We should never take anything for granted. Am I right? All right, what is God like? God is our creator. God is our sustainer. <clears throat> and thirdly, in our notes, we will now look at the most common descriptor of God in the entire Bible. You know what that descriptor is? It's the fact that God is holy. God is holy, and there are two aspects, primary aspects of God's holiness that you need to know and understand. The first aspect and it's from our passage today that Lucy read, Psalm 86 verse 8 and 10, and it says, let me just reread it, there is none like you among the gods and lord nor are there any works like yours, for you are great and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. And when it says, there is none like you among the gods, that you alone are God, this is speaking to God's transcendent holiness, his inherent holiness that emanates from the center of who he is. In fact, all holiness finds its source in God himself. Now what is transcendence? Okay. Do we use that word too often? Sometimes we do. The, the basic idea of transcendence means that you stand over and above other things, you stand over and above other people. That's what transcendence or being transcendent means. Many say when it comes to uh, hockey in the NHL who is that transcendent hockey player that stands over and above all other hockey players? Well of course that is Wayne Gretzky. It is Wayne Gretzky. Not anymore, but back in the day, he still stands as the greatest hockey player of all time. Or when it comes to basketball, many say currently LeBron James is that guy. He stands over and above all other basketball players. I say it's Michael Jordan, but others would say it's LeBron James. Or when it comes to music and pop, Michael Jackson, known as the king of pop, they would say there's no one higher, no one better at pop music than the late Michael Jackson. He's transcendent, but with God, you see, He is transcendentally holy over and above all other things, not just mere basketball, not just mere a little bit of hockey over here or pop music. He's transcendently holy over everything. Here's a very helpful quote I want to share with you from R.C. Sproul about the transcendence of God and his holiness and how these fit together. And this is long, but bear with the quote. It is very, very insightful. And he says, the primary meaning of holy is separate it comes from an ancient word that meant to cut or to separate perhaps even more accurate would be the phrase a cut above something a cut above something when we find a garment that's a piece of clothing or another piece of merchandise that is outstanding that has a superior excellence we use the expression that is a cut above the rest this means that the one who is holy is uniquely holy with no rivals, no competition. When the Bible calls God holy, it means primarily that God is transcendentally separate. So God is not only transcendentally holy, by the way. Yes, he is a cut above all the rest, cut above us. He is alone a God. But he is also morally holy Meaning, there is no sin in God, there is no wickedness in God, there is no badness in God, there is no evil intent in God. He is morally pure and morally excellent and morally good in every single way. Now, when we hear that about God, we hear about His transcendent holiness and we hear about His moral purity and His moral excellence that there's no sin in God, just nothing but goodness and holiness, a lot of Christians, a lot of people in general, not just Christians, Christians or not, they start to freak out at this idea of God's holiness. And they find the idea of God's holiness somewhat terrifying. You hear about God's transcendence, his, his, His moral goodness, and He's a cut above the rest. For a lot of people, that brings about nothing but worry and fear and inner terror. Why is that? because you are not exactly holy in and of yourself Maybe this idea of holiness is new for you or you struggle even as a Christian to live a holy life or maybe you have a good week and you're living a holy life as a Christian and then you fall off the wagon and you're back into, the, into sin and addiction again and then at that point you beat yourself up into a spiritual pulp and into this place of, this dark place of self-condemnation and self-damnation and guilt and spiritual depression and you're just down and out and you're terrified. So what do you do? What do you do? When the Bible makes it clear, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, so all of us have done this, all have sinned and fall short of God's transcendent holiness. We fall short of God's glory. What do we do? And then it says in Hebrews 12 verse 14, it says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Nobody. We need that holiness. No one will see the Lord without it. So here's Here's what you do. You're you're in this place of terror and worry. You keep reading the Bible. And you keep reading the Bible to the place, to the point where you read Psalm 86, that in addition to God's holiness and in addition to God's moral perfection, we move on to, in your notes, Numbers 4, 5, and 6. I'm just going to rattle them off. You ready for this? If you're following along, this will take some fast writing. And it's simply... Number four, God is merciful and gracious. Number five, God is slow to anger. Number six, God is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And these four key characteristics, and there are four, He is merciful, He is gracious, He is slow to anger, He is steadfast, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. These four characteristics are mentioned almost verbatim in seven other places in the Bible And let me just show you where these come from. Let me read this again. Psalm 86, verse 15, it says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So, yes, He is our Maker. Yes, He is our Sustainer. Yes, He is holy and transcendent and morally perfect, a cut above all creation. Yes, He is our one and only God. There is no other God but the God of the Bible. And yes, we have sinned against our holy God. And nothing and no one sinful, nothing and no one unholy can be in the presence of God, let alone a relationship with God. Nothing sinful and unholy can enter into and be a part of God's family. So what do we do? What do we do? We read Psalm 86 verse 15 and it tells us God is also merciful. God is also gracious. God is also slow to anger and patient. God is also abounding, overflowing with indestructible, steady, steadfast, persevering love, persevering faithfulness. And there's a couple of great word pictures from John Piper in relation to this great love and faithfulness of God towards us that we do not deserve. He says this, The heart of God is like an inexhaustible spring of water that bubbles up love and faithfulness at the top of the mountain. Or the heart of God is like a volcano that burns so hot with love that it blasts the top off the mountain and flows year after year with the lava of love and faithfulness. But let me ask you this. Wait a minute here. How in the world? How in the world is God's love for us like this. How could He have love for us like this? His love for us is inexhaustible. His love for us is overflowing. His love for us is never-ending. His love for us, for you, for me, is indestructible. How is this possible? His love for us keeps coming to us year after year after year after year, decade after decade. It just keeps coming keeps flowing towards us. How is this possible despite all that you've done and despite all that I've done against God and been living in a self-serving place and a life filled with sin? How in the world could such a great and mighty and holy creator, sustainer God reach down and love us and show mercy to us in this way? You know, here's how. It's only one way. God the Father, in love, Sent his one and only Son, Jesus Christ, who is God the Son. And he sent him to earth 2,000 years ago because he was not happy with us being on the outs with God, with our sins separating us from God. He made a way. He had a solution, and the solution is a person. His name is Jesus. Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago, and <clears throat> what Jesus did was he displayed, he showcased The greatest act of love and self-sacrifice the world has ever seen. And what Jesus did was, he lived your perfect life, your holy life for you in your place as your perfect substitute. He did the same for me as well. You can't live perfectly. I certainly can't live perfectly. But Jesus lived perfectly for you and for me. Thanks be to God for that. And then most beautifully, Jesus Christ went to the cross willingly. He chose the cross. He chose to be crucified upon it. Spikes driven through his hands and through his feet, spear into his side. He suffocated on that cross for hours, for you. That's how much you mean to him. That's how much he loves you. That's the kind of inexhaustible, indestructible love that God has for you, most excellently and beautifully displayed on the cross. Three days later, after Jesus died, he rose again, to give you the same hope of resurrection in your life after death. And I'm just saying, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, if you're not yet a Christian, let's take the not yet part out. Let's make you, by the grace of God, become a follower of Jesus, a Christian. If you're ready to take that next step or you're just curious about what that next step looks like, talk to me after the service. What you need to do is you need to respond to Jesus Christ with repentance with faith in Christ, and with baptism. And we would be so thrilled to help you with those next steps. But here's the thing, I want to talk to you. Many of you in this room are Christians. And if you're floundering in a sea of self-condemnation, you're just dying out there. You're beating yourself up because of your continual struggle with sin, and you're just, you just are so good at just... Punch after punch after punch, spiritually speaking. I am saying to you, would you take some time today during the Lord's Supper that you will celebrate and participate in in a, just a couple of minutes. Take some time. Confess your sins to God. Confess your sins to Jesus in prayer. Receive his ongoing, continuing love and grace to cover those sins. Don't forget all of those sins that you've committed even, this, even today, even this morning. That sin was paid for already at the cross. It's paid for already by Jesus. So go back to the cross. Leave your sin there. Receive the Lord's ongoing mercy and grace and love thanks to what Jesus did for you. And then get help to not stay in that place of addiction in your life. That's what the church is here for. We are here to help you. With that, let's pray. Lord, we got a glimpse of how great you are that you are a creator, that you are a sustainer, that you are a holy, transcendent God, that you're the highest one of all in the universe. And we're so grateful that despite your greatness, you still choose and have chosen to reach down to us despite our sin, despite our unholiness, despite our sins separating us from you. We are grateful for your son. Jesus, thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for living our life for us. Dying our death on the cross for our sins in our place and rising again. We owe you everything. Lord, help us to, would you reignite a sense of worship towards you? Help us to see how great you are, to live in a place of daily awe and daily worship uh, about how mighty and how good and gracious and loving that you are to us. May we walk away today just re energized with these true views these true ideas, these true characteristics of what you are like. In Christ's name, amen. To God's way in a few ways.